Hi, everybody. Welcome. My name is Melissa Singh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York. And um, tonight I'm going to talk to you about step three. And I'm going to predominantly stick with the AA 12 and 12 um, and just touch a little bit in the big book. Um, but I know that we last time Janet went through step three in the big book. So um, this is like a little bit of a different, you know, just some more information on it. Um, and step three is such a crucial step. I mean, so all the steps, right? But step three is a really, it's it's a really big step. Um, you know, it's it's made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And in the AA 12 and 12 on page 34, it, it says this, all we need is a key and the decision to swing the door open. There's only one key and it's called willingness. So there's this door, right? We want it opened. And what we put in is this key of willingness. And so step three is a decision. And it's, it's actually, it's after, there's a reason why the steps are in order. And it's after we come to the conclusion that we're in serious trouble, right? That's step one. Like we're in a lot of trouble. Our plan for living, it's a flop. It's not working. And we can't seem to fix ourselves, right? That's what it means that I'm powerless and unmanageable. I can't do this on my own. No human power. We've exhausted every human measure. We understand that our problem, you know, has a physical component. And a, and a mental component. We kind of get that. Like we know that physically when we start eating certain ways or certain foods or eating off a food plan, something happens to us. And yet we've got this mind that even knowing that doesn't seem to keep us from repeatedly doing the very thing that we know is hurting us, right? We know it and we just... We either forget it, we disregard it, we can't access it. And this is a big problem, you know? So then we come, you know, to believe, step two, that there's hope for us after all. Like that's step two. It's like, wait, there's hope, but that it's gonna be a higher power and not a human power. So no more like hope in just people solutions, right? Um, step three now is the decision that we're gonna completely abandon ourselves to this higher power. And basically why? Because it's our only shot left. Like that's really where it, it starts for most of us that we do this because we've, we don't really have any other options. I mean, that's how it was for me. I didn't really have another choice. And so then how do we do it, right? Well, we're gonna use this key. That key is willingness. Every other step, we take is going to be reliant now on our willingness to take action. Willingness, the book says over and over again, is indispensable, meaning we cannot work the steps without some level of willingness. It's something that we absolutely must have and not just at step three and not just a little bit. We need a lot of willingness and we are going to need it consistently in order to take action. And the AA 12 and 12 calls this action affirmative action. Okay, now back into the book. It says like all the remaining steps, step three calls 
for affirmative action, for it is only by action that we can cut away the self-will which has blocked the entry of God, or if you like, higher power into our lives. So affirmative action is defined as supportive and encouraging action. And this action is what's gonna remove the self-will. So it's not my quiet belief that's gonna gain me access to God. And it's not even my loud prayers. Prayer is important, but that doesn't seem to just give me this access. The actions, I'm gonna have to start taking some actions in order to clear a path that's blocking me, the access to God. So now it's gonna talk about faith. Faith to be sure is necessary, but faith alone can avail us nothing. We can have faith, yet keep God out of our lives. Therefore, our problem now becomes just how and why, by what specific means shall we be able to let him in? And step three represents our first attempt to do this. In fact, the effectiveness of the whole AA program will rest upon how well and earnestly we've tried to come to a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So oftentimes a lot of people will say, I'm not sure why I haven't gotten well. I believe in God. I have faith in God. And, you know, and God ought to have, you know, be able to fix this for me. And that might be true. God, right? God's powerful. God could do whatever. Um, but for, for me, it required action. It required this affirming action, cooperative, supportive, and encouraging action so that I can access the help that's available from God. You know, and what I look at is that um, I can feel sick and I can go to the doctor. And I say, this is like step one and two. I know I need medical help and I'm not getting well on my own, right? Like something's bothering me and it's like, yeah, I try to gargle, I try to do this, nothing's happening, I'm not getting better. And I have some kind of trust, some kind of belief that the doctor or at least the medical profession can be helpful, right? So I have a little bit of faith in that. Okay, great, now I go to a doctor and I get a prescription and I can even have faith that this is a good doctor and this is an effective treatment. But if I never take the action of filling the prescription and I actually, you know, okay, so now I fill it, right? And what if I just decide that I'm not going to take it according to the directions? So to me, step three is the decision that not only am I going to fill the prescription, but I'm going to follow the directions. I'm going to take it exactly as it's prescribed. Um, step three is truly taken when I follow through and take each step afterwards to the best of my ability. So people say, you know, yes, we take a third step. But I say it's a step that I do over and over and over again, because every time I submit my will to, to what I believe God's will is for me, and in simple terms, it's following this program, like even in just the most basic terms, following the directions of the steps, that to me is taking step three. I do it over and over and over again. 
you know, and, and so this idea of the medication, it's a pretty simplistic example. And yet, how does this really apply to turning my will and my life over? And, and what does that even mean? Like people are like, I don't even understand. What do you mean by will? And what does it mean by life? Like, you know, it sounds almost impossible. And so I think it helps to really clarify what will in life means. And I, you know, I was taught that in simple terms, will means my thoughts, my desires, my ideas, and life means the actions, means the things I do. So when I turn my will in my life over to the care of God, basically what I'm saying is here, I want my thoughts to be your thoughts. Here, I want my desires to be your desires. And I'm gonna try to the best of my ability to act and take actions and do the things that I believe are your thoughts and your desires for me. You know, um, I say it's like where we join team God. I say like, that's it, I'm on your team. And I don't wanna be the coach and I don't even wanna be the star athlete. I just want, I want the position that ever you assign me whenever you assign it to me. Page 35 says, to every worldly and practical minded beginner, this step looks hard, even impossible. No matter how much one wishes to try exactly, how can he turn his will and his own life over to the care of whatever God he thinks there is? Fortunately, we who have tried it and with equal misgivings can testify that anyone, anyone at all can begin to do it. So if you're sitting here thinking, mm, I have some doubts about doing it, those of us who have done it before you will say, I may have doubted too, and it will still work. It still works, even for the doubters. You know, and so to me, that's an awesome and lovely reassurance. Anyone can do it. And we're given some help here, a reminder that we did actually start on this step, even just the tiniest bit when we first came and decided that we would stay and try this out. What we're really saying in that is that I think I could get help here and I'm willing to turn over my ideas. For me, it was just like this. You know what? I think I can get help here. So I'm willing to turn over my ideas about food and I'm willing to turn over my ideas about my weight and I'm willing to turn over my ideas about diets and exercise and and all sorts of things and seek out the answers here. That was like the first way that I just started in that direction. And by the time a person is on step three, they have decided that where food is concerned, they're willing, but where they might still waver is when it comes to all other matters, like the, the, other, the real matters. And, and I would say like, you know, like really? All other things I have to turn, like, okay, I get it with the food plan, but really my life, like my, like everything, it sounds so drastic, right? It sounds really drastic. And, you know, the biggest question that people ask in this is, if I keep turning my will in my life over to the care of something or somebody else, what's going to become of me? Like, am I going to lose me in there? And I think it's important 
you know, that one really has a solid step one before they think about this step. You know, step one, remember, it's a real understanding that my life was not working. And not just that my food plan needed to be different, not just the way I was eating needed to be different, because I knew everything there was to know about food and nutrition when I got here. Like, I, trust me, I know every, I can tell you the calories and just about everything. I can tell you what's good for me and what's not good for me. And, you know, um, I knew portion sizes, like I knew it. I knew calories, grams of fat, it's like all of that. Yet on my own, I could not live in agreement with my own knowledge. And that's a big problem. When you can't use your own knowledge and live in ways that respect what you know, that's a life that's not working very well. You know, and, and so the thought was like, well, what's gonna become of me then? And, you know, here's the thing people say, and I sort of said, well, what if I like my life and the way that I do things? Maybe what, what if I just don't wanna turn all the other stuff over? And, you know, I think it's like this, really. Well, the answer could always be, you know what? If you like yourself so much and the way that you're doing things, then like, why are you killing this person with food? Why are you eating this person to death if you like her so much? If it's working so well for you, why do all answers result in the refrigerator being opened up? Like maybe it's more than just food, right? You know, um, and if your way is so great, how come you're so miserable? You know, most people when they come here are not happy with their lives and they don't just say, yeah, I'm really here to lose 10 pounds, right? Remember, this is a program for people who have exhausted every other method, right? This is, they call this the last house on the block, right? So I came here because I was, I was pretty miserable. Like I was an unhappy person and, you know, and then the next thought is like, okay, what am I going to become? Am I going to be this great non-entity, you know, like some sort of robot Stepford wife or something? Am I going to be boring? Am I going to lack all personality or have no more sense of humor left? Um, you know, I was afraid that that's what God had in store for me. Like, you know, and I was also afraid that this was a scam, that I was going to be tricked that I would listen to all you people talk and I would think, what if they're just sort of like, like doing this weird, like self-hypnosis thing that everybody just believes it and everybody says, and if you say it enough, you know, you believe it. And, you know, but I was promised that what I was actually going to gain was freedom. Like, that's what I was told. Like, mm, you know, that's not a scam. You're going to get free. And I had been enslaved by food. You know, that's the truth. Food was my master. Um, you know, and I was gonna have to have the chains of my addiction removed by something more powerful than the master that I was living under. You know, and actually that sounded good to me because I just couldn't, I knew that this particular master of the disease did not have anything good in store for me. It certainly wasn't, fun. It wasn't like I had a great sense of humor or was enjoying life very much. I spent a lot of days in tears. 
you know, and I wanted to be free to live in agreement with my own knowledge. Like I liked that idea that I could take the things that I knew and actually live by following the things that I knew, you know? So I just want to touch on this fear that I'm turning myself over to a scam. You know, that this is a trick or a hoax, that we're all sort of convincing ourselves of something. And we're told always to look at the evidence, right? Whenever you're unsure of something, well, hey, let's look at the evidence. So let's, let's look at the evidence of what it means to be scammed by this program. Nobody charges us one thin dime. I have never paid a cent. Nobody asked me for money. Compared to all the other things I tried where it was thousands and thousands of dollars, right? Nobody asked me for any money. Nobody has instructed me to do anything immoral. Never been asked to do anything that was like against my sense of morality. In fact, following this program, my morality has actually improved. And since living this 12-step way of life, I live in agreement with my own moral code that I have this moral code inside and now I can actually live in agreement with my own set of morals. You know, I don't find myself excluding others who don't believe exactly as I do, right? That's what, that's what a, a scam might be. Like, well, if you don't believe what I believe then I won't talk to you. No, I don't feel that way at all. I've had none of that experience here in OA either. Um, I haven't hurt anyone, right? Nobody's hurt me. In fact, it's the exact opposite, right? Every single relationship in my life has improved as a result of this. Better mother, better daughter. I'm a better sister, I'm a better wife, I'm a better friend, I'm a better teacher. I'm a better neighbor, I'm a better citizen. You know, I say like I'm physically healthier at 53 than I was in my 20s and my 30s. You know, and so if I'm scammed, I like this scam. This is a good scam, right? Sign me up. Keep tricking me. Um, you know, so if I can let go of my fear of being tricked and scammed for just long enough to examine the evidence of living on my own power, I wasn't doing very well. In fact, my best plan got me into the rooms, right? That's what it was like out on my own. Page 36 gives us an example. I love this of electricity. I love how they really simplify, you know, some of these things for us to make it um, more easily able to be understood. So let's examine for a moment this idea of dependence at the level of everyday living. In this area, it is startling to discover how dependent we really are and how unconscious of that dependence. But that dependence on this makes us in fact, not only more independent, we are even more comfortable and secure. Power flows just where it's needed. So the AA 12 and 12 talks about how easy we rely on electricity. We depend on this power source because it makes living easier. And it actually gives us greater freedom, right? So like, think about it. it. You know, when we have like electricity running to our house, we have all sorts of freedoms. Um, it, it frees us up. And I'm thinking, you know, for me about all the technology and how easily I rely on technology 
because it improves the quality of my life. And I don't even need to understand it. You know, like that was, that was my reticence. You know, I was nervous to, to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Cause I was like, mm, I don't really understand it. So I don't think I want to rely on something I don't understand. And yet I cannot tell you anything about this device. I do not understand it, but God help me if I leave my house without it. Right. I'm like oh, my phone, my phone. Why? Because it's freed me up because it's given me a level of, of greater ease in my life or so I believe, right? Maybe, maybe not so much, maybe we're too enslaved to this thing, but many other sources of technology, I don't understand, but I know that when I turn my reliance to it, my life is easier, right? And, you know, and if you think about it, um, you know, um, the moment our mental or emotional independence is in question, how differently we behave, right? It's like, mm, I don't want to turn that over. You know, certainly don't tell me what to do, right? Don't tell me what to do. Never mind how it might improve my life. You know, the thought that I was going to turn my thinking and my actions over to God, you know, um, made me sort of like, oh, you know, like nervous about that. A lot of people get nervous about that because there's a great deal of delusional thinking. If the addict actually believes that they are controlling their own thoughts and lives, right? Remember, we were under the control of food, right? So I never had personal freedom. That was a lie. Never. I did not have personal freedom. You know, in fact, I got here because I was out of control. That's why I got here. Page 37 confirms this. We are certain that our intelligence backed by willpower can rightly control our own inner lives and guaranteed success in the world we live in. This brave philosophy wherein each man plays God sounds good in the speaking, but it still has to meet the acid test. How well does it actually work? And could you look in the mirror and answer clearly enough for any alcoholic? Right? How is it working? Um, so, you know, what does it mean to be playing God? Because it talks about this idea of playing God, that we're not gonna play God anymore. And is that different from just going about life like normal people? You know, playing God means that you have a huge effect on or great power over someone's life, whether it's their livelihood, their health, their happiness. And I have to say, it kind of sounds like a little bit normal, like what normal people might be, although a little power hungry behavior, right? Um, many people go through life either playing God or attempting to in their own world. And we call it self-reliance or self-will. And in, in the outside world, sometimes it's celebrated and even encouraged. You know, this notion of doing it my own way, I'm gonna make my way in this world, I'm gonna do it my way. It, it gets romanticized. And some of us come here wearing it like a badge of honor. You know, I did it my way, I do things my way. Um, you know, and one of my favorite AA speakers, Sandy B talks about this and points out that some of us actually think it's an admirable quality, 
Like, oh yeah, I might be a mess, but I do it my way. I do things my own way. And, you know, he's, he says, yeah, when you kill yourself, what's the prize? Are they going to put that on your tombstone? You know, here he lies. He did it his way, right? Um, so normal people, which we're not, quite often they do live on self-sufficiency. And even for them, you don't always get great results. Page 37 says, people filled with anger and fear, society breaking up into warring fragments. Each fragment says to the others, we are right and you are wrong. I mean, we see that all the time. Every such pressure group, if it's strong enough, self-righteously imposes its will upon the rest. And everywhere, the same thing is being done on an individual basis. The sum of all this mighty effort is less peace and less brotherhood than before. The philosophy of self-sufficiency is not paying off. So it's really not working so well for the rest of the world either. You know, and step three, I, I usually... Um, love to discuss my dogs. I'm a dog person. I've always had dogs. And um, so for those of you who've ever owned a dog or, or, or dog lovers, I want to tell you that I learned a lot actually about step three from, from dogs, right? And here's what it is. The most difficult dog one could have is the one who doesn't know its position, who thinks that it's the boss who thinks it's the head of the pack of the family. It's the one that believes that it's in charge and dogs that think it's in charge believe that its responsibility is to keep the rest of the dogs in the pack safe, well. Mind you, he needs to eat first, right? He needs to get everything he needs, but his job is to keep everybody safe. And there's a problem with dogs living that way with people because they're not, they're not smarter than people. And it's a dangerous dog because they're nervous. They even know somehow that it's too big for them. So what do they do? They bite, they growl, they're, they're food aggressive, you know? And some of them actually do really crazy things. I had a dog that thought it was the boss. It was a little tiny dog. It almost chewed its tail off because it, they're neurotic. And that was me in the disease. When I believe that my job is to keep everybody in the world safe, or at least in their rightful place so I feel good, what happens to me is just like that dog, I get aggressive, right? I can be snippy, I can be unlike, not easy to live with. And I chew off my own tail, right? I've showed you guys my pictures many times. Over 300 pounds to me is a demonstration of a woman who was chewing off her own tail, right? Who was destroying herself with her mouth. Um, you know, and the most beautiful thing is when a dog is properly disciplined by a loving master, they're safe. They get everything they need. They're easy to get along with. They don't snap. They're calm. They're lovely, right? They're lovely creatures. And that's hopefully like what we get, right? We get a master who loves us, who's gonna give us everything we need. And then we can relax and take it easy and live in peace. You know, 
And so the AA 12 and 12 goes on to say that, by the way, we're the lucky ones. Like in this whole world, those of us who need to turn their will and the life over to the care of God actually wind up being lucky, right? Therefore, we who are alcoholics can consider ourselves fortunate indeed. That's what it says in the book. Each of us had its own near fatal encounter with the juggernaut of self-will and has suffered enough under its weight to be willing to look for something better. So our pain, the crushing pain of this addiction forces us into a position where we know that there's gotta be something better. And I found that to be the truth. You know, when I compare myself to other people in the world who don't have this necessity to turn their will and their lives over to the care of God, I often see those people get very worked up over things that I just don't really get worked up about anymore. Politics, traffic, right? The craziness in the workplace, you know, families not doing exactly what we want. I'm not to say that I'm perfect. Do those things get me heated sometimes? Yes, but I quickly know that me getting my way in those circumstances is not gonna necessarily bring me happiness. My happiness will come from seeking what God's way is and following God. You know, I have a program and an ability to turn it all over to the care and protection of my loving creator. I may not like everything that comes my way, but I'm not spending my time and energy fighting against what is. And if it's outside my control, right? Things like traffic, things like the political nature of the world, think right, the weather, whatever it is, um, then that's precisely where it's meant to be, not in my control. And then what do I do? What do we do then? Well, I can ask God to help me seek his will. I let God be God and I play the role he assigned me. What I found out is that God gives me directions and plenty to do. So I don't have time to keep focusing on the things that are too big for me. This keeps me happy and smiling, right? If I seek God's will, he gives me something to do. I, I'm, I'm busy enough. And I know that I have a very small, as a human being, I have, I have small vision. I can only see what's in front of me and maybe a little bit what came before me, right? But I can't see way out in front. You know, I say it's like, um, I have a very small vision. It's like looking through a keyhole of a door. I get like this much of a view and I can make all sorts of human assumptions about what is beyond the door. Um, but God is creating things often behind that door. And he's got the whole thing mapped out. And his plan is the right plan. Because I have two choices always. I'm either going to believe and rely and trust on God, or I'm not, right? And my belief is that this God is a loving, caring God that wants the best for me. So his vision has to be right. His view has got to be the right one. Um, you know, and what I found too is that you know, if I compare myself to the rest of the world, even through this pandemic, 
people who had a program of recovery, who had a, a relationship with God, who had these 12 steps, we seem to have done better as a whole than those that did not. I look at like people who, who don't have addictions, who didn't have a, a program of recovery, they didn't seem to do as well, you know, in an internal basis during this pandemic, you know. And the AA 12 and 12 talks about the newly so sober person who realizes that they've got lots more problems than just their substance, right? We've got much more problems than just our substance. It becomes so painfully clear when I'm in sobriety that left without the ability to numb the hurts that I've got other problems that are much bigger. How can they ever solve their problems? And page 40 says, that is just where the remaining steps of AA's program comes in. Nothing short of continuous action upon these as a way of life can bring the much desired result. So step three is telling us exactly how we're going to place our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand him. What we're going to do is we're going to actually use our willpower. Yes, I get to use willpower, but only to seek his will. That's where I get to use my willpower. I can use willpower to work the rest of the steps of the program. In fact, we're told that this is good use of the will. So the rest of the 12 steps is about getting a direct pathway to God so that we can find out what his intention is for us. So who's in charge of making sure that they keep working along this pathway so that they can reach God? The individual, the individual. Page 40 says all by himself and in the light of his own circumstances, he needs to develop the quality of willingness. When he acquires willingness, he is the only one who can make the decision to exert himself. Trying to do this is an act of his own will. All of the 12 steps require sustained and personal exertion to conform to their principles and so we trust God's will. Page 40 says our whole trouble had been the misuse of willpower. We had tried to bombard our problems with it instead of attempting to bring it into agreement with God's intention for us. So if anyone ever asks you, can you ever use willpower in recovery? The answer is absolutely. Yes, we found out that where, where our abstinence is concerned, no. Willpower is not going to be sufficient. That's not going to be it. But we can use willpower in working the steps. And we can absolutely use willpower along the path so that we can seek God's power. Once we've come into agreement with these ideas, it's really easy to begin the practice of step three. In all times of emotional disturbance or indecision, we can pause. We can ask for quiet. And in the stillness, simply say, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. So what we've come to see is that our serenity is reliant on our acceptance and not upon our circumstances. I get serenity not just when my circumstances are exactly as I want, but when I submit to the will of God. And for this, 
you know, I, I say it's, it's good to turn for a minute to the bid book. There's a couple of things I want to look at here and how it works. On page 68, it says, we're now in a different basis. The basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns. Just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity. And that is such a beautiful promise. That means that even when things are going cuckoo, and crazy around us, we can actually be calm because we trust God, because we completely trust God. And I just ask, okay, what, what would you have me do in this circumstance? Let me just do. And if I really believe that I'm doing what God would have me do, I feel calm about it. I feel like a sense of calmness overwhelms me. You know, I love I just want to touch on, because I think there's such a beautiful example of what a step three looks like. It's in the story that we commonly know as the man in the bed, right? Alcoholic number three. It's the one that you often see um, Bill and, and Bob, Doc, uh, Dr. Bob and Bill W. counseling. And um, it's on page 187. There's one little part here that talks about how he took a step three. He says, I was willing to admit to myself that I'd hit bottom, but I had gotten hold of something that I didn't know how to handle by myself. So after reviewing these things and realizing what liquor had caused me, I went to this higher power that to me was God without any reservation and admitted that I was completely powerless over alcohol and that I was willing to do anything in the world to get rid of the problem. In fact, I admitted that from then on, I was willing to let God take over instead of me. Each day, I would try to find out what his will was and to try to follow rather than trying to get him to always agree that the things I thought up for myself were the things best for me. And that's what he, that's what he did. And that's really the direction here is that when I take step three, I stop saying to God, do this, do that, make this happen, make that happen. Instead, I ask God, show me what to do. Tell me what I should want. And I just want to end with one more idea that I found to be very comforting and true. In my experience, when I turn my will over to God and I get directions, sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes I don't really like what I believe I'm being asked to do. I might be asked, you know, to take some difficult actions. But what I found is God does not merely give me the directions. He always provides me with the necessary strength to follow through. And he gives me the resources needed to actually do it. God doesn't make it impossible to follow his will. You know, and oftentimes he takes the things, here's the most beautiful thing. He takes the things that I have to do 
And if I consistently do them, despite how I feel, strangely enough, he turns those things into things I want to do. So initially, the things that I was like, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it anyway. Over time, it's like I get peace from doing it. And then I crave following those actions. And um, thanks with that, I'll pass.